The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and we are uh, going to be talking today about the importance of uh, understanding the world around us from uh, a biblical perspective, particularly as uh, we look at the book of Thessalonians uh, in uh, The Christ Factor. So, just for remembrance's purposes, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking, um, uh, alternating the Old Testament uh, with uh, New Testament passage. So, last week we were talking about Genesis, and we'll pick up Genesis next week. Um, but this week we're going to look at the book of Thessalonians and begin to uh, exegete Thessalonians and get an understanding of uh, the issues that the Apostle Paul was addressing uh, to Thessalonica uh, in as he writes uh, both First and Second Thessalonians. So in Thessalonians, uh, we kind of start out uh, midway through the uh, First Thessalonians because the first uh, several chapters of uh, of the letter um, deal more with personal type issues about. The Apostle Paul wanting to come to Thessalonica and him sending Timothy and and those types of issues. Um, it's it's probably good to remember, uh, just from a scholarly standpoint, it's good to remember that these were actual letters. They were not uh, div- <laughs> as as the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote this letter. He did not say, "Okay, chapter one." Chapter 2, verse 1, verse 10. He didn't do that. He simply wrote the letter as one would write from one's heart. 
And then later, in order to make it easier, uh, individuals went in and divided these things up into chapters and in verses so that it was easier for people to be able to locate a passage that they were looking, uh, trying to get after. So in the first uh, several chapters, the Apostle Paul, as I said, really does uh, looking more at the issue of, of um, talking about his desire, his personal desire, to minister to the church um, at uh, Thessalonica. So we, we're actually going to pick this up in, uh, in chapter 4, uh, because here he starts giving some uh, instructions to the church at Thessalonica in this first letter, ad- addressing issues which were important for the day. So uh, I'll just read through this uh, one section, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll go back and we'll look at this. So finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in order to please God uh, as, uh, in fact, you are living. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord uh, Christ to do more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The the Lord will punish men for such sins as, uh, as we have already told you and warned you, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, and he uh, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So he starts out in uh, in giving some instruction, uh, reminding the church that it is uh, God's will that uh, the church be sanctified. So he says that he's going to uh, give them instruction now as how it is that they might live to please God. So so if you want to live in such a fashion that you're going to please God, if your desire is to turn your life around and and act in such a way that it's pleasing to God, and some some, some people may say, I have heard people say, you know, how can we how can we know really what is pleasing to God? How can, how can we please God? Well, it says right here in the book of Thessalonians that the way we please God, the way we live in such a way that we please God is that we, um, is that we follow the instructions of his word. And he starts out, it's interesting to me at least, that he starts out with this instruction uh, talking about the importance of being sanctified. Oh, so what what does sanctification mean? Um, it's a term which is sometimes thrown around quite a bit. What it what it really means, though, is sanctification is is uh, set apart. Is that you are set apart, and that you recognize that you are set apart, and so you live your life in such a way that um, that that recognition is honored. Okay, so when you say that you're you're um, you're being you're being uh, living in such a way that you're living as one who is sanctified, 
you are you are taking a mental note that that is uh, the desire of God. Now this goes back to the discussion we had. Uh, wow, I, how long has it been, Josh? Maybe a year or more, where we were talking about the fact that when when you become a disciple of Christ, um, there's a process that you go through, and so the Apostle Paul is 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 reminding he's he's telling them something that they should already know. He's telling them that they should be in this process of sanctification. Uh, two words that you'll see used often when we talk about the journey of the believer is the word justification and the word sanctification. So justification is the work that was done by Christ on the cross and the blood that he shed which covers our sins uh, provides justification before God uh, that he no longer sees our sins but that he sees the blood of Christ. So we are justified because of the work of Christ in our standing before God. Sanctification, however, is a process. It is a process whereby we are in the process of being brought back into uh, a relationship with, uh, with God, a relationship that was broken. So we have to kind of learn what that relationship looks like. So I've kind of, there's a lot to think about there. Do you want to add anything before I go on, Josh? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, they're pretty complex terms. Um, or what, I guess what I mean by that is they have a lot of, um, theological weight behind them. Mm -hmm. uh, justification is like a legal term, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and Paul uses it to describe our state as being um, not right before God and legally we are uh, doomed, essentially, right. you know? Right. And so when we're justified, what's happening is that judgment is being uh, rained down upon us and the justification is basically God accepting Christ's sacrifice and saying, okay, uh, Christ comes and says, this is why you get to be free. I've paid this price, so on and so forth. And God says, he stamps on it and he says, yes, you are justified. And then he lets us go. Whereas sanctification is the process of um, living up to... Well, yeah, it's it's both a, it's both a, it's both a uh, thing that happens and it's a process. So it's it's living up to the fact that you are justified, right? <clears throat> and in it is a process. The way that uh, it's normally described, I think, is becoming that which you already are. Mm -hmm. uh, that comes out of First Peter. We are holy, so First Peter says, "You are holy, so live as one who is holy." So, yes, so the, sancti the, the process of sanctification is, I would like to boil it down to not just being a, a, a theological understanding of what it is, well, although that's very important, I think that there's a practical aspect of it that we can grab hold of so that it's not theologically out of our reach. And when I say that, what I'm what I'm referring back to, and you can go back and look at some of the, or listen to some of the uh, podcasts that we've already done in regard to the process of of an individual becoming a believer. 
But the bottom line is, is when you're covered by Christ's blood and you become a believer, that the the process that take place of uh, of uh, omission, uh, uh, not omission, but of um, of of committing to Christ and mm-hmm. making a statement for Christ, that that process involves um, recognizing our sin and repenting of our sin. Right. And then when we repent of our sin, we then are set on a new course. And in being set on a new course, we are now not living for self. That's the, what takes place in baptism is that the self dies and we are raised to walk a new life in Christ. And so we are set on a new course and we are in the process then of learning how to be what we already are because of the work of Christ. We are a holy and righteous people. So the process of sanctification is that process whereby we are uh, drawn closer and closer in our walk with God to being uh, in his, to, to reflecting his presence in our life. Um, if you go back into the Old Testament, you look at, for example, where um, Moses received, well, Moses went up and he spent time with God and he, and he, uh, and, and in his, in his time as a emissary, a go between God and the, uh, Israel people, the, uh, Hebrew people, um, they, they complained about Moses when he would come out of God's presence uh, whether it be on the mountain or whether it be in the tent, they would they would complain about his presence because he was uh, too shiny. He was too shiny. <laughs> yeah. So they said, hey, you know, can you put a scarf or something, a veil or a something, veil, yeah. over that in order so that we can we can because you're just you're you're just too shiny, um, and and that's but that's a uh, a picture of uh, what's supposed to be reflected in our daily walk. So as we become closer to God, then people should begin to see God working in us, and we begin to reflect the fact that we have been in his presence. Yeah, I think that that there should definitely be indicators in our life um, that come from our works essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that our works will begin to be like Christ and that includes how we talk it includes how we interact with each other um, it includes the things the 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 focuses that we we take on for ourselves um, those are all part of the process of sanctification right uh, everything in your life needs to be being sanctified cleansed and you're gonna find that some things in your life will fall away because they just don't matter anymore. Right. Um, and then others will will get stronger um, and, and you'll take on other things. I think a lot of people are fine with justification. I don't know that so many people are fine with sanctification. Um, and it's a little bit like getting into a serious committed relationship, right? Right, right. In a serious committed relationship, you take on this this lover, essentially. You take on this partner, um, or even like uh, you take on a child, for instance, right? You become a parent. That's a serious, committed relationship. Right. So you take on this relationship, and it begins to change you. Um, and parenting is a really good example from the standpoint that no parent 
um, really understands in experientially. They they don't really understand what it's like to care for another human being that is their own flesh and blood until they have that. And I feel like I can speak authoritatively to this because I've you know I've been a foster parent before I was a a parent, um, a biological parent. And for the record, I completely understood with my mind um, what it was like to be a parent. And I even had lots of experience in caring for other people's kids. So I don't feel like I learned necessarily anything. Um, I don't feel like I learned anything in my mind. Right. I don't feel like my heart even changed really. But there is a different type of experience involved in that. So, so sanctification is kind of like that where um, you've been justified and you take on this role set, this role, and there's new rules to your life because of that. Sanctification is that part of you where you are starting to become that and people start to, to – you start to realize that you have a different type of knowledge about who you are and people start to see that about you. And all of a sudden, you know, a person who's a new parent – and is fully 100% a parent because they, they just had a kid, um, starts to actually become a parent. Right. It's kind of, it's hard to explain. It's, there's, there's a certain, um, I think we can call it a mysticism well, I, I, about I, it. I agree with you. And, and, and of course, the, the element to that is that the, the relationship that you have as a parent with your child is going to be as deep as the amount of effort that you put into it. Right. And the difficulty that we see uh, with parenting today, why so many children are are lost and parents are lost as well in understanding and, and, and uh, dealing with their relationships, is because uh, the parent is not initiating and or putting as much effort into maintaining that relationship as need be. Right. And that's the same way in our relationship with God. If, if, if you expect to reflect the glory of God in your life, if you expect to, to uh, become a man or a woman that is a man or a woman of God, then by necessity, you need to spend time with his word. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to spend time reflecting upon um, who he is and, and what uh, his expectations are in regard to the things of life. And we're not um, in, in, uh, in our worship service uh, last week, we were talking about uh, one, having to understand or an, an aspect of what we were talking about is, um, you know, what does is, what is our commitment look like uh, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I saw in the question that I was addressing is that as individuals, we, um, we, we, are, we are caught up making choices. And part of making choices is that there's a, there, sh- there should, there often is not, but there should be a reflective process whereby of all the things that we deal with in life, we have to ask ourselves the question and reflect upon the response, is this action which I'm taking in regard to this aspect of life going to glorify God or not? Yeah. 
And I don't, and, and the reason why this sanctification process becomes difficult for individuals then is because um, in, in the society in which we live in, it is obviously it has always been an issue because the Apostle Paul is addressing Dealing it to with the church. Things, yeah. Right, at, at Thessalonica. But, but uh, it's particularly difficult for believers today because, first of all, we have uh, become an instantaneous, uh, instantaneous society. Right. We do not like to wait for things. Or work for them. Or work for them. That's exactly right. In fact, uh, in many cases, people have been <laughs> brought up to believe that they are owed. Yeah. And so we've got this mentality that says, you know, first of all, you owe me. And second of all, what you mean I have to work for something? And we just have problems with that. But what Scripture tells us is, and, and so that take that attitude for a second and think and, and uh, extrapolate it to issues in your life where you may be having difficulty. Are you having difficulty with uh, your parents, your or or with your children? Are you working at that relationship? Are you willing to put in the effort to make it better? Um, you know, maybe you're having difficulty at work. Are you working to be the employee that you should be? Uh, maybe you're having issues with your spouse. Are you working to make that relationship with your spouse a work according to what God's Word has to say? inevitably, one of the reasons why people have difficulty today is because an honest answer would be either no or uh, not a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people just don't want to do the work. Um, I think that they, like you said, you know, we're, we're a very instantaneous culture. And so I think that a lot of people don't want to do the work and think that experience alone is what's going to cut it. Um, and it just, it just really doesn't. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, that's not what the scripture calls us to. The, the scripture calls us to justification through our faith, yes. Um, but then once we become Christians, we're supposed to put on the full armor of God, put right. on the new body, put on. So the idea is we take off the old things and put on the new things and move forward with the life that God's justification has enabled us to live. And that's, that's really a partnership in the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification, I mean, it's going to happen. It is going to happen and you will be made better than you were. Right, to a, to a degree, and, and Jesus... Ethan, by God's grace. Right, by God's grace, and Jesus Ethan talks about that when he talks about the, the plant bearing, the seed bearing fruit. But notice that there are degrees to how much the fruit bears, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100 So So there are, yes, but by the very fact that you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, there's, there's going to be an effect in your life. Right. Um... And I think, you know, my example about being a foster parent um, and understanding things before, I think um, a lot of people, they, a, a lot of people came to me and they basically said, you'll understand truth by experience. And quite frankly, almost all of the people who said to me that I would understand what it's like to have a child um, gave me bad advice before I had a child. <laughs> okay. 
And, and I already knew everything that I needed to know before having a child because not because of the experience of having a child, but because I did the research right. and because I learned the mechanism of parenting long before having a biological child. Right. And so, and I did have experience with foster kids um, and I did have experience with, um, you know, raising other people's kids. But the thing is, those same people undercut that experience and say that doesn't count. So right. you can't use that as a, uh, you can't use that in, in, in the argument. And the point I'm making is you take somebody like the Apostle Paul, right? And then you take somebody like the Apostle Peter. So the Apostle Peter, he, you see him again and again and again. The one, the one thing that we always focus on is his denial of, of Christ, right? That's like a major thing, and he denies him three times. But you actually see multiple times in Scripture where Paul kind of sticks his foot in his, or Peter kind of sticks his foot in his mouth over and over and over again, right? And you don't really see that with Paul. And the reason why you don't really see that with Paul is because Paul studied. Right. Paul studied. He's a scholar. Yeah. He studied before before God called him to himself. Now, obviously, his study brought him to a position where he was just a little bit over the top murderous. But, um, you know, so God had to pull him out of that. But the, the point is, is that when Paul became justified, his sanctification was able to, was able to take hold in a radically different way. Right. Because he had studied to show himself an approved workman ahead of time. Right. And so it was easy for him to slip into a life of discipline afterwards. And so what we have is almost an epidemic, I think, in American Christianity, because we have a lot of Americans who don't have that mindset of studying to show themselves approved, even in, in secular things, like, right. like the job, right? right? And so then when they become Christians, it's really hard for them to translate that over because they want to outsource everything. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and so the, the issue for us as believers then is to first of all recognize that, that we are in a sanctification process. And so, and so the Apostle Paul... Uh, reminds the church at Thessalonica that they are in this process of being uh, sanctified and that um, they are called to holy living as such. So it's interesting to me that as we continue to look at this, we see that, first of all, the call is that it is God's will that we be sanctified. So let me make it very clear that what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, is that, is, do you want to know what the will of God is? Know this, the will of God is that you are to be sanctified and you are to live as you are sanctified. So you are to be set apart. This idea that you can keep one foot uh, when you're uh, when you become a a, a, um, a believer and you are a disciple of Christ, uh, there are those out there who believe that. Um, well, I, I mean, in the past, I've called it fire insurance, but basically, there are people who ascribe to saying that they believe uh, what Scripture has to say about Jesus, but but not really. It's like they have they have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and it's like they can't make their mind up. Yeah. 
And that's not what we're called to. Let me make it very clear that if you want to, to understand what the will of God is for your life, the will of God for your life is that you are committed to him. You have both feet in on the road to sanctification, and you are in that process of bringing everything in your life under uh, that umbrella. Yeah, I think calling call, uh, calling it a road is a good way to describe sanctification just from the standpoint that roads are progressive, right? You've right. got you got your mile markers. Right. So you step onto that road at, at you know in mile 1 and you know that road stretches the entirety of our lifespan and our calling is to walk that road daily. Right. And so you're in a process in that road and you make progress in that road and everything that you need is along that road. You know, you you got your your gas, although if you're walking that doesn't quite follow. <laughs> But you've you got your convenience stores, right, you got right, you right. got whatever you need as you're making stops along that road and your hospitals and so on and so forth, because that's the road to be on. But you are making progress. And further down the line, you're gonna need heavier duty things because the road gets treacherous and narrow the longer it is that you stay on that road. But the end point is is your inheritance your inheritance. It goes beyond justification. Now it goes to actually receiving the inheritance that comes because of the justification. Right, and the closer that you, the closer that you get to that end point, the better prepared you are uh, for the acceptance of that end point. Right. The thing is, if you don't, if you don't partner in your sanctification, then there's a real question to your justification. Yes. Um, that's a question that we leave to God, but there's a question there. No, there is a question there, and, and there are people that inappropriately put their focus there. Yeah. Uh, there have been theological movements that inappropriately put their focus on the whole issue of justification, and the reality of it is, first, first and foremost, justification is, is, is not up to you. Right. Okay, so Jesus Christ did the work that was necessary to make it possible for you to be reinstated into a relationship with uh, your Creator God. It had nothing to do with you. And so, and so that's the work of Christ, and that's not where our focus should be as believers. Our focus now should be to recognize the work of Christ on the cross and then to focus on uh, becoming uh, a sanctified people. Yeah, and we should be clear, just because our responsibility isn't to call out justification, isn't to call out your salvation, it is absolutely our responsibility, and I don't mean mine and Pastor Monty's, I mean everyone. It is absolutely our responsibility as Christians to, to say, hey, this is the road that you're on. This is what walking on that road looks like. This is why you got onto this road in the first place, right. and this is where you're going on that road, right. and do you need help? Yeah. And at any point where somebody says, look, I'm on that road and I don't need your help and I don't need to be reminded how I got on this road and I don't want uh, to know where I'm going and I don't really want to walk on this road. Well, then why are you there? 
then yeah. why are you there? Yeah, yeah, you don't exactly. understand. Yeah, and exactly. so I want to be clear, like, yes, we're saying, I want to be clear. Yes, we're saying it is not ours to question your justification, but it is ours to question why you're on that road of sanctification if you're not going to walk it. Exactly. And it is ours to call you into having the correct tools and to hold you accountable. And when I say it's ours, I mean I, it's the whole of Christendom. Right, right, the body of Christ. It's your responsibility, those who are watching, as much as it is ours. Yes. Okay, we're going to, uh, we're going to end um, this section because uh, time is getting away from us. And we're going to pick this back up in two weeks at verse 3, where Paul hones in on a specific issue that obviously the church was having to deal with. And and I would just say that it's an issue uh, as much today as it was in Paul's day. And uh, how do I know that it was an issue? Well, it's kind of like the thing, you know, you ever... um, um, whenever you see something written like on a, um, in the commercial world, when you see things written on a cup or you see things, you ever, uh, for those of you locally here, have you ever strolled through Ikea and come to the end of the, the deal there before you get to the cash registers and up on the, uh, up on the, uh, the top of the deal there, they're advertising their hot dogs for like 50 cents or whatever. And they have this big old hot dog up there. And un- if you look underneath the, the, the hot dog, there's a phrase that says, um, not actual size. <laughs> that, what, what that means is, is there have actually been people who said, hey, this hot dog you gave me doesn't even begin to look like the hot dog on the picture. Or when you get a, a hot cup of coffee or something and it says right on the cup, this is hot. Well, what, what that really means is that somebody's made an issue of it. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, this next issue we're going to deal with, the issue of human sexuality, because it was very much an issue then as it is now. And we'll pick that up in two weeks. Let's, uh, let's uh, do something a little uh, more entertaining uh, now and talk about uh, what's up with that. Well, there's a couple of different things that I was uh, looking at as I was scrolling through the oddities of the news of various things that are out there, and and uh, there's lots of things about different types of alum, an- animalia and stuff like that, and yeah, I thought I'd stay away from that. Um, you know, we're coming into the, uh, the, the crossover, as it were, for you sports people. We got playoffs going on, we got... We got uh, teams uh, vying for various positions. Um, in Pennsylvania, there was a girls uh, a girls team that was uh, coming up on on they were they were getting beat, and it was the final buzzer. And as the final buzzer rang, uh, a gal um, threw the ball from clear across the court. So she was down court. Of her goal, 
She threw the basketball to, uh, in from clear across the basketball court and and dropped the shot. You mean made it? Made the shot. Yeah, that's awesome. From clear across the court. It, it, it forced the game into overtime, and then their, their team actually won. But, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you ever played basketball or played around with basketball, but when I was a kid, we used to try to make... high school? Yeah, high school. When I was a kid, we used to try to make uh, half-court shots, and a half-court shot's pretty substantial. But to make a shot from clear across the court, that's amazing. Now, she said, in all fairness, she said, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, that was, that was a lot of luck. She's saying, no, 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 no. My coach and I have been practicing for a long time to try to make a shot just like that. So, but, but pretty amazing. Good for her. <laughs> That's pretty Okay. Um, you know, North Carolina's got some interesting stuff going on. Uh, the wave of the future is, uh, is there. Um, the, in North Carolina, they were, they were testing a drone taxi. Now the FAA, the FAA did not allow them to have actual people in the vehicle. Um, but it was an unmanned vehicle and it was, uh, it could seat two people and they were testing it uh, on the field to see uh, how that would work. How did it do? It, it did well, except that you know they still have to do more testing in order to prove its worthiness. But I, I mention that because this is this is the wave of the future. Oh yeah. And uh, you, you many people may not know this, but actually, if you look at companies like Uber and Lyft, these companies do not. Uh, do not consider themselves to be rideshare companies, but they consider themselves to be transportation innovators. Hmm. And so their goal, and, and Uber and Lyft are, are uh, working, they've, they've dropped a lot of money into this research, but uh, their goal is to, um, to have autonomous uh, vehicles uh, to pick up passengers and what have you for rideshare, um, and and they're working on that. Yeah, I don't know why it would be an issue. Like it seems weird. At, it seems weird at the front of it, but then when you think about something like the, you know a helicopter, like in terms of the machinery, it doesn't seem like a big deal. The only thing, of course, is the the nav. Right, right, and and I suspect that when you talk about drones, for example, drones are still piloted. Yeah. They're piloted by a command center, and so I'm not sure how they would work that aspect of it out. But it was interesting that they are now testing uh, in-flight uh, drones for that purpose. And I, and I believe that, that probably within another probably within another five years, mm-hmm. um, Lyft and Uber will have the technology nailed down that we'll start seeing uh, autonomous vehicles available. Um, they have a couple of marketing places where they're doing testing for the for marketing. Their big issue, in my in my estimation, their big issue is going to really be a branding issue. Well, I just posted I just posted an article to the thread for anybody who's interested. Um, this is kind of along those lines, but 
uh, Disneyland, actually, who are incredible innovators. If you ever get the chance oh, yeah. to watch yeah. the Imagineering program on Disney+, Plus, which we all have, but pretend we don't, um, <laughs> it... They, they're just, they're incredible innovators with all sorts of things. And one of the things they're doing right now is they have R2-D2, the droid, R2-D2, right, 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 right. without a handler roaming Disneyland. Oh, interesting. He roams around Disneyland. He works on an AI, kind of like a Roomba, right? And he roams around Disneyland and he will do things. He poses for pictures and just goes wherever he wants to. And when it's time for him to recharge his battery, he goes back and recharges his battery. And then he goes back out again and takes pictures with people and goes and does what he wants to. Wow. And talks to people and interacts with things. Right. And they've been testing him for a couple weeks now with little to no issues, it seems like. Um, Yeah. And and that's really really where we're headed towards. Um, And as I said, I – my – belief is some you know some people will say to me you know what well, you drive for lift doesn't it doesn't it concern you that they're trying to put you out of a job and my take on that is i'm old so by by, by you're the, saying it's like on so many other things it's other people's problems well by this by this <laughs> by by the time that they deal with their branding issue yeah and that's going to be the central issue because while millennials under so millennials and down may not have a problem with it. I'll guarantee you that uh, the older generation, by and large, will say, "I'm, I'm doing that." Yeah. Well, I think it. I think that number think, one because we like control, Josh. Well, I think if you talk about <laughs> relationships and you go, you look at something like vinyl, um, or even bookstores. Yeah. You'll see that once a new technology enters and there's a way to sort of sterilize that from the human element, um, you know, it booms and it creates its own industry. But slowly but surely, we begin to trickle back, backward. You right. Know? In- yes, yes. And it's uh, like even things like the food industry. Like like, at, vi- like your the, your fascination with vinyl, for Okay, example. it's not a fascination. But <laughs> um, – <laughs> My appreciation. Your, your love for vinyl. My appreciation yeah, of yeah. vinyl. But okay. like think about the food industry and, you know, you had this boom of like fast food. Right. But more and more so, all of these pop-ups are happening where people are really caring about the the story behind the food. And right, right, right. That's, that's a human element because storytelling and the creativity and communication in that way are human things. So uh, I think that one day like maybe that will become the standard but one day what's going to happen if that becomes a standard is it's going to become a novel and growing thing of having of of having a person drive you and like be able to talk with them and experience things and so on and so forth you know yeah yeah it'll it'll be interesting um okay so food good segue the two more things uh that uh, I wanted to share come uh, in the in the deal of food. So in North Carolina, um, these people wanted to have uh, pizza for dinner, so they opened the oven door, they threw the pizza in, and started to cook, and it started to smell like it was burning. So the woman told her kids, "Stand back! I don't know if something's on fire. What the problem is, but I'm going to look in there." And when she looked there, and there, what she found was that a snake, okay, had some way uh, found its way into the oven and uh, was there cooking. Ugh. 
along with their pizza. So it wasn't so, in. So it wasn't in the pizza. It wasn't in the pizza. So it that's a, at least it, good. Yeah, it was in the oven. But but they, yeah, their their response was your response, Josh. They said, you know, we're just going to go out and get something. We're not eating that pizza. Yeah, um, but uh, I might I might eat that pizza. I'll be honest. And I, you know, I saw several. Depends on that pizza, and depends on if it was in the in the pizza box. Well, it wasn't in the pizza, but but it had you know an extra. It had a, it would have had an extra flavor with the the smoked <laughs> the smoked snake meat. We don't have two. We you know we have some people watching, and I'm going to post just for funsies. I'm going to post a poll. To see, to, <laughs> to see, see how many to would see eat the who pizza? would eat the pizza. <laughs> I'm doing it. It's happening. Nice. So yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, there was a lot. There were a lot of articles about people finding snakes uh, in various places. I know you're all about these. These. Uh, well, I I just praise the Lord that we live in the Northwest and don't have to contend with that. Yeah. But in the South, you know, that's uh, that's a big thing. Um, okay, and so the last the last one uh, that I wanted to share is, and this is for all of you out there that just uh, love your health food. Uh, there's a man in Britain across the pond. They're not only having to deal with, you know, Harry and and uh, Megan, but uh, but there's um, uh, a Guinness uh, world record was set. Because a man in a British pub ate 33 Brussels sprouts in under a minute. Okay. Now that's a lot. <laughs> that's that's a lot of Brussels sprouts. That in is under a minute. And do you not like Brussels sprouts? You know, most people have a love-hate relationship with Brussels sprouts. And yours is? I don't mind Brussels sprouts. They're all right if they're cooked correctly. I mean, you know, that's the that's the way it is with most food. Snake's good, by the way, if you cook it right. Um, <laughs> okay. Letting it burn on the bottom of the oven is not the way to cook it. Um, little, you know, make sure you turn it. Some barbecue sauce. It's, it's, you know, and and take the skin off before you cook it. Right. Okay. But, <laughs> but, right. Of course. But uh, Brussels sprouts, you know, you cook them right. They're okay. I usually like stuff like, uh, you know. Cheese sauce or something like that with right. my Brussels sprouts. Okay. Okay, there you go. Well, there's, <laughs> there's some fun uh, little things floating around out there. So I'm going to take this poll. I, I made this poll. It's on our page, guys. Yeah. I'm going to take this poll, if I can figure out how to do this, and uh, post it. Actually, I'm going to have my I'm gonna have my, my person do it. Never mind. <laughs> so we can continue the show. Okay, so... Um, so I had put out there, and we didn't get any response, um, but I put out there, do people want to talk a little bit about the uh, current political stuff that's going on? Because we are in an election year. That is your wheelhouse. Yeah, we are in an election year, and there's lots of interesting stuff going on. And uh, I would like people, I would like the church to be informed. The church needs to be informed of these various issues. And yet, and yet, 
I don't get a very positive response uh, from individuals uh, when we talk about these types of things. So I don't know that that's going to be productive. The other thing that was suggested is we talk about relationships, particularly the dynamics of male-female relationships and what God's Word has to say how to be successful in that uh, dynamic. And um, again, that one people seem to be more interested in because that's something that you can put your finger on, as it were, and have to deal with it on a daily basis. So I'm thinking that what we might do is we might uh, do uh, talk a little bit about um, those types of issues. Which? Uh, the, the marriage and... Ah, relationships. Uh, relationship type issues. Okay. Particularly men and women. Because when, the, when it really comes down to it, that is one of the essential relationships in life. So you want to talk about romance? Well, or are you talking not, about parenting? Not romance about... per se. I mean, parenting would be something that would come along the lines a little bit later. <laughs> but I was thinking maybe we would start out with just talking about, uh, as you know, Josh, when I do my uh, premarital counseling, we start at the beginning, God created, and we go forward and uh, lay out some uh, assumptions in regard to how we approach the issue of male-female interactions. Sure. I mean, you know, there are books out there by secular people, you know, women are from Venus, men are from Mars, you know, those types of things where people in the secular world try to understand the major differences between how men and women look at things and process information and all those types of things. Right. But there is a biblical perspective and. Believe it or not, even though we have to live in this world and deal with the dynamics of this world, um, we as believers are supposed to be set apart and understand this world within the context of God's design. Right. Well, I'm down to uh, I'm down to sit in controversy. <laughs> sit in controversy? Well, yeah. I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? Like, the idea of being directive in in relationship is already hard for people. Then talking about God's design for relationship is even harder for people, especially in a world that no longer believes in design or direction. Sure. Yeah. No, I, yes. So, I, I yeah, I think we're going to... I now see what you're talking about. We're going to run up against a lot of issues, even for people who believe in that design. Well, I'm fine and, with there, it. and there's no doubt that, uh, that that understanding has not been, over the course of history, that understanding has not been perfected and or um, it has uh, been diminished. And what I mean by perfected is that even in ancient times, as we know from Scripture, and then uh, we see various ages throughout the church, for example, like the Puritan age, um, even within the church, there's a, there's a quaint little church up in... Uh, <laughs> up around the it's not in Port Townsend it's actually on Long Beach Peninsula mm-hmm. and there's a quaint little church there that is, you can go into it it's a historic little little church for the the uh, people that were there as they the fishermen and and what have you that established that area and 
And the church literally, I'm not kidding, the church literally is divided down the middle. Sure. And at the front of the divide is a pot belly stowed. The, which is was, not what you're recommending which for the is, record, Yeah, right? yeah, right. In the church, uh, the, the there's a pot belly stove in the front to heat the whole church. But the man sat on one side, the women sat on the other side. Mm-hmm. And this is true even in uh, in Jewish culture. The, the the women were not allowed to sit with the men in the synagogues, and we see inference of that uh, in various passages of scripture. Um, so throughout, so throughout, when I when my wife and I were in the process of courtship, um, she was warned by her uh, by her family that it was a sin for us to hold hands and that it was possible that she could get pregnant. From holding hands? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that um, the Philippines was a third world country. Uh, well, I'm just telling you, that's what, you know, that was their, uh, that was their mechanism for right, in, installing fear. Some parts of the Appalachian um, Mountains are third world too. Apparently. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And junior so, high. So the the point of laying this foundation for our discussion then is to say that um, not only in the secular world do you have these issues in regard to sexuality, but particularly in the church, there is a misunderstanding of God's design uh, and the issue of sexuality. And so we're going to uh, begin the process of exploring that. So if we can, so if we go in that direction, do you think we can get? Wow, Lucy Brown just comments. Wow, hyperbole. If we can, uh, if we can get. I understand Lucy Brown did get pregnant eventually. Okay, if we can get <laughs> Lucy Brown to come on. For those of you who don't know, is actually Pastor Monty's wife. For whatever reason, they like to use monikers like none of us know who they are. Um, but in any case, if we can get Lucy Brown to come on and talk with us about relationship. Oh, I'd love to have her. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So Lucy Brown, come on down and, uh, you know, re restructure the narrative. And, and let me just throw out there that if, if that's a scary process... We can hold hands during that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 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 You're okay. The ho- I'm so not the host. You're so the host. So that's so that's the foundation for where we're going to go with, uh, and we're going to start in the beginning. So in the beginning, of course, um, was this will this will uh, go back to what we were leading uh, reading last week. Um, when God created mankind, mankind, the, the, the overall umbrella. Men and women. Men and women. When God created mankind. And all 26 other genders. <laughs> just, just the two. When, <laughs> when, when God created mankind, he created them male and female. Yes. Now, when we look at that... That that issue when he created them male and female, we are specifically we're not. You, in the old days, most people would say, "Well, duh, 
mean, well, he created them men and women, duh. But nowadays, uh, there's a real misunderstanding about what that means. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and just the fact that he distinctly created men as men and he created women as women. Now, and so to go deeper than that, men have obviously a unique genitalia. But men also have a unique body structure. The skeletal framework for a man is different than the skeletal framework for a woman. And yes. And, 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 and uh, even so soon as 30 years ago, there was not the want for recognition of this. And yet today, in uh, sports medicine in particular, uh, we see that this is becoming a real issue because studies have been done to amplify the fact that the skeletal structure of a man is way different than the skeletal structure of a woman, and therefore the 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 working with the the bones of a woman who's involved in sports is way different than working with a male who is involved with sports in in what they have uh, discovered is that uh, that there it is such a difference that um, it's distinctive uh, for men and distinctive for women. Now, you may say, well, oh, again, you might be thinking, well, duh. But, but remember that there, there was a whole movement, the feminist movement, for many years, uh, believed that there were no difference whatsoever between men and women. And they put forth the narrative, a false narrative, but they put forth that narrative. And this is becoming more and more of an issue because not only do we have the science behind sports medicine, which has been looking at some of the issues of when people hurt their uh, their knees and sure. and uh, other other parts of their body related to sports, um, it's also becoming an issue because of uh, transgendered individuals who are now. Uh, identifying as men, for example, who are identifying as women uh, and competing against other women and obviously blowing them out of the water. So you mean biological men who are identifying as... As women. As women. And, And they have been allowed, some of them have been allowed to compete against women... Uh, in various sports, bicycling and and uh, uh, running and various other athletic type sports, and and uh, the women are beginning to say foul. The biological women. The biological women are crying foul. Yes. Yeah. And 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 so their <laughs> feminism feminism in particular has sort of uh, has sort of been edged out. In terms of the, um, 
what would it be the counterculture movement it's been edged out in favor of the lgbtq right. community what's interesting about that is uh a lot of the um a lot of the lg community uh ha- is all well basically what i'm saying here is that there is that there isn't a consensus there, yes, I would agree. They they, they phrase them as one single community, and they like to look that way. Right. But there is definitely not a consensus uh, as to what makes what makes what uh, a woman or a man or right. in all right. of that within that community because uh, the the way that they push each community's agenda then hurts the another, other agendas. Another aspect, right. And there is, uh, they try, yes, yeah, so what, what Josh is saying in a nutshell is that they try to present a united front, but there's all kinds of infighting going on as they try to understand and establish a unique identity, um, even though there's an overall umbrella. And so what we're coming up against is we're coming up against issues within sports medicine, Related to this, we're coming up sure. against within the actual physiology issues, right? And we're coming up against legal issues because there are, there are several women who have filed suit, um, cl- you know, loudly proclaiming unfair, bad sure. form, sure, um, for what's going on. So this is not <clears throat> well. I just I just posted an article about uh, Tennessee passing a or Tennessee has a bill out there to require that sports only be allowed to be played um, by in, in the, your identified gender, right? By your biological, by, by your logic, yeah, by your biological gender, yeah. And that's how some of these, uh, that's how there's trying to address some of this on a legal fashion. But okay, so we're oh, <laughs> this is going to be an interesting discussion as we carry on this year. Our time for today is up. We will continue this discussion next week uh, as we uh, as we take up uh, this issue of uh, from the beginning uh, the, as God created him male and female and what that means for us within the church. Okay, well, uh, yeah, so we are going to be talking about that next week. Sounds like, and um, in that process, remember that if you have questions, concerns comments, anything like that, feel free to write them down, send them to us here and now, or send them to us during the show. Right. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll try to get to them. Uh, let's help. Let's remember to help spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. If you haven't yet, um, you can go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all of our programming at the VRN. Um, which is, of course, Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful contents and insights. And we are produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. So if you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn about us. And feel free to do that. You can always donate to us um, at the hashtag, essentially, um, or the dollar sign or whatever they do these days, ABF PDX, or you can go to our website and click the donate tab. Um, and feel free to check out our other shows. This last weekend mm-hmm. we did the upper story or not the upper story. Sorry guys. This last weekend we did culture insanity. Right. And then we also have our weekly sermons going on and some stuff to talk about there. So yeah, take a second to check out our group page and always be checking back in. Um, on 
Tuesdays. Always be checking back in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. And we'll see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.